This is one of my favorite times of the week. <laughs> I love being able to speak to you about what God's word says and how it applies to our life, what it means to us. And we are so blessed uh, to be able to gather together the way we do. I would encourage you, if you have time to have your Bible with you, to open it to Psalm 1. And uh, if you have the cell phone with uh, the Bible app event, the Version Bible app, you can go there and you can look at the menu. And the children can be dismissed for Children's Church. See you later, kiddos. Children dismissed for Children's Church. You know the drill on a Version Bible app. You go there, you go to the menu, look for an event near you, and you'll see Kerwinsville Alliance. It should be right at the top of that page. Yeah, Bible app event. So when I was at Tacoa Falls College, one of the guys in the dorm there uh, that I knew was going through really an emotionally dark time. He had experienced a few things um, that, that were very difficult for him. One, he was in leadership and he made some really unpopular decisions. And uh, then a, a second thing that occurred is um, he had a really, really bad breakup with a girl he'd been with three or four years. And something else that occurred then was that a lot of his friends, I was one of them, we were getting married. And I think he kind of felt left behind. And so those things, they all kind of hit him at once. And uh, when one of those things hits you, it's one thing to deal with. But when it all hits you at once, it kind of rocks your world. And in the middle of that, he happened to say to me, hey, God's given me a vision. And I said, do tell. I'd like to hear about that. Well, God told me, he said, that I'm going to be the next Billy Graham. Now, for those of you who don't know, Billy Graham was an evangelist with an unparalleled ministry. Um, He packed stadiums all over the world, on every continent. He packed them out, and he preached the gospel with clarity. One time before the internet uh, was able to carry this kind of load, Billy Graham's association decided, let's do a worldwide evangelistic campaign And you think, how do you do that? Are you going to go from place to place? No, we're going to have it one place, but we're going to use those satellites and we're going to hit every nation with the same simulcast of the gospel. And they rented every piece of equipment that was available, all the bandwidth that was available, so that, so I've read, CNN, NBC, those other media giants, CBS and all of them, they actually had to throttle back their bandwidth because Billy Graham had already reserved what they wanted to use. It was a huge ministry they had. And here's, here's my buddy telling people that God told him I'm going to fill Billy Graham's shoes. Could be. I mean, we're still kind of looking for someone to fill those shoes, right? But it didn't happen for him. And eventually he came back to earth, you know, and, and kind of got his head about him a little better. I don't think that God told my buddy he was going to be the next Billy Graham. I didn't think it then. But something I did think was this. Everyone wants to make a difference. But the difference isn't a matter of size. It's a matter of, anyone know what's missing on the screen there because the font's too big? Commission. The difference isn't a matter of size. It's a matter of commission. That's what we're talking about in this series. We're talking about the commission that God has for us. We're taking each of the letters, C-O-M-M-I-S-S-I-O-N, all those letters, and we're getting a sermon title from each of them. The first one was called. We are called. The next one is outward focus. Our focus is outward. Last week, we talked about mountain-moving faith, and today, we're going to talk about making a difference, that we're made to make a difference. You are made. You are made to make a difference. And it may or may not be obvious to you that making a difference requires a clear view of your commission and a clear view of yourself. 
That's probably why God says in Romans chapter 12, after he unloads a lot of theology on the reader, he he says in verse 3, For by the grace given me, this is Paul writing, I say to every one of you, do not think more highly, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment and according with the faith God has distributed to each of you. See yourself clearly, and that will help you see your commission clearly. But when you think of your commission, what is it that God has for me to do? If, if we are made to make a difference, what does God have in mind for me? I do want to warn you to resist the temptation to be somebody. I want to be somebody. Even if we don't admire them, our culture really makes celebrities of people like Elon Musk. I mean, from Tesla to SpaceX, that guy's a mover and a shaker. And it's easy to envy that. Sometimes that envy comes out like, well, that's not a big deal. It's not a big deal, really. Patrick Mahomes, Super Bowl MVP, what, two times out of the last four years? Something inside us wants something like that. But it doesn't have to be those super wealthy people or super talented people. It can even be another musician or it could be another actor or it could be a hunter or someone is a better fisherman than me. And that notoriety, that can reveal a desire within our hearts. There's a drive in most of us that's probably stronger than we would like to admit. And it's a drive to be somebody. Because we think if I can just be somebody... That's going to give my life value. It's interesting, though. The people that I value most are not the ones I just mentioned. Patrick Mahomes, Elon Musk. As I think about it, the people I value the most are people who have lived their commission in small ways, ways that are often overlooked. Because I think you'll agree, it does seem that productivity in the kingdom kind of happens when we're living our faith, our call, our commission in small personal ways. You can see it in your own experience. A Clarion College student named Barry Yellitz was leading a group of teens on a youth group camp out. There was this 15-year-old in the group, and that 15-year-old liked to goof off. He was kind of charismatic, he was funny, he was a show-off, and he was a troublemaker, and he was a big distraction in youth group. So Barry, who was the youth leader, he said to that boy, hey, I'm going to take you on a walk in the woods. Let's go. And he picked up a machete and he took that boy into the woods. Woo-hoo, wonder what's going to happen. He took him out there and they played with the machete a little bit. Then they sat down on this tree that had fallen down across a creek and they let their feet dangle down from the tree. And then Barry spoke. He said words like these. Steve, (laughs) what are you laughing at? Steve, you have a strong ability to lead. I mean, I struggle to get this youth group to listen to what I'm saying to them, but whatever you say, they do. And you can use that ability to serve God, or you can use it to disrupt what God is doing. You make the choice, Steve. Now, you won't find Barry Yellitz on History Channel's top 100 list of men who made a difference, but you will find him on mine. You will find him on mine. He was a youth leader. He was made to make a difference. Sometimes small commissions make big differences. You know know that deep inside, but don't you sometimes feel 
Like whatever it is that you're doing in the kingdom is kind of small, like the widow's mite. You remember the story Jesus told or the incident that happened when Jesus was there with the widow who came in and and you might feel like her. All she had was a mite, a little tiny coin to give. And you might look at other other ministries, other people, what they're doing for the kingdom, their commission, their calling. You say, man, there's this. they have a big fat commission that they're living and I'm just sitting here doing this little thing this little thing. But I wonder if Jesus would say, as he said of that widow, I tell you the truth, she gave more than all the rest. I don't know. It's not just possible. One might even say it's likely. The widow was made to make a difference, and she did it. There's another woman, a mother of a whole bunch of kids, just a whole mess of kids she had. Her name was Susanna, and she made a difference. Her name was Susanna Wesley, she had a son. His name was John. Is that name familiar to you? John Wesley. John Wesley was the founder of the Methodist churches. Founding the Methodist churches. He had a big commission. You know, Asbury University is having this revival. What is an Asbury? Is it like a raspberry? No, it's a guy's last name. Francis Asbury was sent to the United States of America by John Wesley to plant churches along with another guy. That's a really big commission. John's mom's name was Susanna. Susanna. She wrote a letter to John. She probably did this quite frequently. And in this particular letter, she happened to pen a very practical definition of sin that theologians from Calvin to Grudem really are hard-pressed to equal, in my opinion. I'll put it on the screen. Whatever weakens your reason, impairs the tenderness of your conscience, obscures your sense of God, takes off your relish for spiritual things, whatever increases the authority of the body over the mind, that thing is sin to you, however innocent it may seem in itself. That ain't bad, is it? Not bad at all. And I've probably used that definition more often than I know, maybe next to the definition in 1 John where it just says sin is lawlessness. That might be one of the richest definitions I've ever read. But but it's not really the definition of sin I want you to see here. It's Susan that I want you to see. She's just a mom with a whole bunch of kids. And she's writing, and there's not even a big pen around. She's writing in the 1700s. And she's fulfilling her commission because she was made to make a difference. Made to make a difference. Your Bible's open to Psalm 1, right? I asked you to open there a 100 years ago when I began this message. Psalm 1 happens to be a piece of truth that hung on the freezer door right at my eye level. My mother put it there uh, when I was growing up. I don't know what she was trying to do with it, but there it was right at my eye level, not down at hers. And uh, I memorized it in the King James, so now I can't read it out of anything else, but I'm going to try today. When when we look at it, what we're going to see is we're going to see that it tells us how to make a difference that actually matters. And it opens up with the very first verse. It says, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. That's pretty straightforward, right? You heard it. Let's, Let's put a title on that. Separate yourself from sinfulness. Stay clear of wicked people. Stay clear of people who don't give sin a second thought. 
Stay clear of people who are filled with that arrogant contempt for goodness, the scoffers, the company of mockers. Can you, can you see how each of those things would serve to derail your attempts to live your own commission? Don't walk in step with the wicked. When I think of walking in step with someone, I think of a military thing, you know, where the soldiers are all marching in step together, you know, one, two, three, four. They're just, they're in unity. And there's probably a psychological component to that that, that reminds the soldiers, these are the men I'm united with and we are united together against a common enemy. We are walking in step together. We are brothers. We are together against the common enemies. But the wicked and the Christ follower can't walk together because they don't have a common enemy. In fact, Hebrew scholars tell us that that word wicked, it refers to someone who is himself or herself an enemy of God. Don't march in step with the enemies of God. You were made to make a difference. And don't hang out with people that just don't give sin a second thought. People whose conscience is uh, maybe seared. The phrase in the NIV, don't stand in a way that sinners take. There are a lot of places, physical places, that you know you can go and there's no good thing there for you. And there are places, virtually speaking, online that you could go and you know there's no good thing there for you. And there are places in your heart that you can go and you know there's no good thing there. Don't let yourself go there. You were made to make a difference. People who live their commission, they stay out of step with the wicked. They stay out of the place of those who love sin. And they stay clear of people who are marked by arrogant contempt the line, the last line of that verse is on the screen. They don't sit in the company of mockers. Contempt. That's part of what the passage means when it says mockers. And there are people who consistently behave with contempt toward good things. And it would be good for them to think, why do I always do that? You'll hear them say things like, what? A revival at Asbury University? Spending hours in prayer and hours in repenting and, and in worshiping, <laughs> I'd probably be doing the same thing. Those guys are just trying to get out of their classes. Hmm. Mockers. Contempt. And you know that Ken Ham guy that built that ark encounter? What a complete waste of money. That money could have been given to the poor. Mockers. Contempt. Those kind of words were lifted right from the lips of Judas. In John 12, 5, Judas Iscariot says, why wasn't his perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. That's contempt, arrogant contempt, scornful mockery. I don't need to tell you what happens when you hang around with people like that. You risk becoming one and your commission becomes clouded. You were made to make a difference. Now, I know that as I talk about that, as I say, stay away from the wicked, stay away from sinners, stay away from the scornful, that your mind is thinking and, and should be thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute, didn't Jesus say that he was a friend of sinners? In fact, Jesus hung around with a lot of sinners. So how does that work, Pastor Steve? And you know, the answer is so stinking easy, you could have thought of it yourself. There's a line. There's a line that you know when you've crossed it, like I'm hanging out with this person 
shining the light of Jesus. And whoops, I just went over where this person is influencing me negatively more than I'm influencing them positively. It's so simple, isn't it? It's not rocket surgery. You see what I did there? Just keeping you awake. It's just so simple. You were made to make a difference. Separate yourself from sinful ways. And the next verse says, fall in love with God's instruction and with God himself. It's talking about that one who is blessed and it says, whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on it day and night. Fall in love with the instruction of God and keep it in your mind always. Let me ask you a question. Do you read your Bible? Do you read your Bible regularly? Do you find it difficult to do so? Let me try to give you some perspective. Come on a little imaginary trip with me. Let's say that you and I lived a thousand years ago. This is 2023, so if my math is right, I'm talking about 1023, right? 1023, and you and I have decided we're sitting around together drinking some coffee. We had to have coffee by then. And, and one of us looks at the other and says, you know, I kind of like to read the Bible. Hey, that'd be a good idea. Let's read the Bible. So we decide we're going to read the Bible. But we would have a couple problems. First of all, Johann Gutenberg is dragging his feet. He's not going to invent the printing press until 1455. That's over 400 years down the road. I wish he'd get with it. So the only Bible that we could possibly hope to see, to lay eyes on, is the one that's locked up in the church. Hmm. Here's another problem. The religious people who have that Bible, they're not real sure it's a good idea for us to read it. It's for them. They're the clergy. You're the laity. You don't get to read the Bible. We'll be reading that Bible. Third, it's written in Latin. And you and I, we can speak pig Latin really well. But speckensy Latin, we don't do it. English, or we're French, or we're German, but we can't speak Latin. And even if we could, our fourth problem is we can't read. I mean, why would we bother to learn to read? There's no books yet. So we're functionally illiterate. Books aren't going to be printed for another 450 plus years. Wow. But you and I don't live in 1023. You and I live in 2023. And we have the Bible in every imaginable form. I mean, it's right in your hand. It's, it's in book form in the chair in front of you. There's probably one within your reach. And if you're thinking, I want a paper Bible, I want a book Bible, take that one. You're not stealing it. I just told you, take it. If you're going to use it, take it. Glenn and Myrtle's order. Glenn has passed away, but when he was in a nursing home for 10 years, there was a season of that time that um, they had a portable DVD player. You remember DVDs? They were kind of like eight tracks. They had a portable DVD player and they put a DVD in it, and you'd hear a person read, and you'd look at the page, and there was the King James, because that's what they liked, version of the Bible, on the screen. And the two of them would just sit side by side while the Bible was read to them, and when it got to that page, the DVD changed the page, and they just kept reading silently while the guy, the DVD player, read out loud. Gutenberg only could have hoped for something like that, right? Uh, I have a DVD player, but I don't even know if it's plugged in. But I do have YouTube, and the Bible's all over YouTube. You can go there and read the Bible in just about any language you can imagine. Oh, and then there's your smartphone, right? 
I mean, who here, because I know you want to brag that you don't, who here does not have a smartphone? Put your hand up. Yep. Okay, we're giving you guys credit, man, giving you props. You're stubborn and you're staying with it. We like that. We like that a lot, right? Yeah. But the people that didn't put their hand up, we got smartphones. And not only can we read the Bible anytime, but we can listen to it anytime. You can listen to when you're driving your car, when you're doing dishes, when you're chopping wood, you're watching the pirates lose. You can watch it anytime you want to. That was for my friend Kim Smay. Yikes! <laughs> the kind of, it's kind of embarrassing, honestly, that we would ever say this sentence. I just find it difficult to read the Bible. Isn't it? It's just embarrassing. If you want, well, look at the screen. This blessed man, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and he meditates on his law day and night. If you want to make a difference with your commission, choose to love God and his word because you were made to make a difference. You were made to influence others. You can look for ways to do that. Verse 3 says, that person, this person who's blessed, is like a tree planted by streams of water. Uh, In a desert, that would be a great thing. Which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do, prospers. Now, the fruit that's being spoken of there, it's not apples, it's not peaches, it's not even figs. The kind of fruit that's being spoken of there is the fruit we bear when we connect people with Jesus because he does the rest. That connection bears fruit. That connection changes life. That connection makes a difference. And we do it in a timely fashion, in season. And we do it in a way that refreshes without withering. And we do it so it enhances the kingdom. It prospers. We were made. You were made to make a difference. And that difference has eternal consequences. It brings eternal blessing. Now, I'm going to be honest with you and say, I don't like the last half of this chapter. Generally, I just don't like reading about what happens to the wicked. Unless someone cuts me off in traffic, then whatever God wants to do with him, that's fine. But all kidding aside... I don't like reading about what happens to the wicked. But let's look at verse four. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Yeah, I'm just not fond of reading those kinds of passages. But whether I like it or not is irrelevant. It's the word of God. (laughs) And it's there because it's accurate. And it shows us the stakes are high. The stakes are high. And it reminds us we are made to make a difference. And when we engage our commission, God restores value to human lives. The Bible calls that redemption. Restoring value to human lives. Just as an aside, let me say this. No matter what, human life has value. No matter what, human life reflects the image of God and is sacred. Human life is precious. And that's really why it's so tragic when humans become wicked 
And when humans engage in sinful behavior and when humans are arrogantly scornful of good things, something made in the image of God has been damaged when that is happening. And when we help break people free of those kinds of evils, they are redeemed and value is restored. Value. Look at verse 4. Not so the wicked... They are like chaff that the wind blows away. The chaff would be the part of the grain that the, that the farmer would discard. He holds on to the grain, but he disposes of the chaff. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. If those who are trapped in wickedness are not captured by God's love, there's really nothing good to hold them, and they will be as chaff without value. When you and I live out our commission for the sake of the kingdom, that changes. When you and I live out our commission for the sake of Christ, they understand their value before God. When you and I share what Jesus has done for us, they understand what Jesus can do for them, and God restores their value as they turn their hearts to him. We are made to make a difference. Living our commission makes a difference because it prepares others to stand in righteousness. It it prepares others to stand before God. Verse 5 speaks of the unrighteous who have not turned to God when it says, therefore the wicked will not stand in judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. They won't stand. They will fall into the pit. What a waste. And God doesn't like that. He's not happy about that. He takes no delight in that. In Second Peter 3, 9, he says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Like, Jesus, when are you coming back? Come on. It's been a long time. It's been 2,000 years. And have you seen? We are going to Hades in a handbasket. When are you coming back? You are so slow. Peter says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And living our commission is joining God in doing what he wants to be, do. It's helping others trust him. We are made to make a difference. And as others turn their hearts to Christ, the difference is giant. The difference restores value to human lives. The difference prepares others to stand before God in righteousness. And and the difference we make changes lives by bringing peace in his presence here and now. Here and now. There's a psalm that is the most popular of psalms. It's about 22 psalms away from Psalm 1, Psalm 23. And and in it, David makes this remark. He says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even though I am facing death, death is all around me, I am in the valley of the shadow of death, even though I'm there, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. Remember when you were a little kid and maybe you had a big brother or big sister or maybe it was your dad or your mom and you just knew you could go anywhere with them. You know, I'm not afraid of anything because my big brother's here. I'm not afraid of anything because my dad's here. 
Well, when you make peace with God and you go to the cross and say, Jesus, I am sorry for my sins. I recognize you died there on my behalf. Thank you for doing that. Please forgive me. I will follow you. A peace that the King James says, passeth understanding, comes to guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And if you and I happen to be involved in that event taking place in a person's heart, then we have actually cooperated with God, giving him that kind of peace so that he can say what it says at the start of verse 6, the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death, but I fear no evil because God is watching over me. God is present with me. And that presence, that changes everything. You were made to make a difference. So my buddy from Tacoa Falls that I mentioned earlier, he didn't go on to do what Billy Graham did. (laughs) He did his mission, he carried out his commission in smaller ways. We've kind of lost touch with each other, but I stalk him on Facebook. I've seen what he's done even before there was Facebook. I'd bump into him or I've called him in the past just to talk. He has engaged in ministry since graduating in churches up and down the East Coast. Some of them he's been in for a couple years, on staff, teaching other staff members, teaching the people. Some of them he's been in for a long time. He's been in other kinds of Christian ministry for years, teaching them about God. And I'm sure he would say his life is rich because he has a commission. He has an impact. He has a difference. And all those other things that rattled his world, the leadership decision that maybe made him less popular than he was and losing his girlfriend and feeling like everyone, everyone's leaving his, him behind, I can guarantee you that as he sits at dinner today with his wife and children and grandchildren, he'll say, that was small potatoes. I was made to make a difference and the difference I made, the difference I'm making, it is good. I want to pray that you and I would have that same heart, that same mindset, that we would understand there are certain things in this world God has for me to do, and I'm just the right person to do them. And that we would acknowledge that we are made to make a difference. And that we would speak to God and say, at this time in my life, God, what is that difference? How can you help me do that? There is something really cool about God. When you ask him, what is it that you're looking for, God? He never says, well, if you don't know, I'm not going to tell you. He loves to hear that from you. And as he reveals that to you, at his own rate, it will come just when you need it. You know this is true because he made you to make a difference. Let's stand together and we'll pray that we would be able to fulfill the commission he has on our life. Let's bow our hearts.
Lord Jesus, we are so thankful for your love for us. We thank you, Jesus, that you, having been sent from the Father, completed your commission in such a glorious way, purchasing our redemption, thereby giving value to our lives by your own blood on a cross. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We desire to live lives that have meaning. We're not looking to be the next Billy Graham. We're not looking to be Elon Musk, for sure. What we're looking for is what you have for us to do. Because we acknowledge before you, God in heaven, that we know we are made to make a difference. And we desire to do that. Reveal that to us. Help us to have the humility to accept it if it's smaller than Billy Graham's ministry. Help us to have the patience to allow it to grow. Help us to have the faithfulness to do it. Whether it's writing a letter to our son, giving him a definition definition that will last for generations, or just offering a cup of water in your name, Jesus. Show us how to make this difference. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.